Good morning. I'm reading from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, and I've chosen the message because I rather like what it had to say about these verses. Then Jesus went again to walk alongside the lake. Again, a crowd came to him, and he taught them. Strolling along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, at his work collecting taxes. Jesus said, come along with me, and he came. Later, Jesus and his disciples were at home having supper with a collection of disreputable guests. Unlikely as it seems, more than a few of them had become followers. The religious scholars and Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company and lit into his disciples. What kind of example is this? acting cosy with, with the riffraff. Jesus, overhearing, shot back. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. This is the very word of God. Thank you, Nick. Uh, often when I start a, a new Bible reading plan, I'll uh, select a different translation. I'm reading through the message myself at the moment. I love that phrase, as unlikely as it seems, many were following him. What was your first experience of church? For some of you it's in recent memory, for some it's uh, a long and distant memory. Um, as we speak of the story of church's beginning, many began in fairly simple circumstances, maybe a, a small gathering under a tree in a local park or on a block that they knew would one day contain a, a more permanent home for their church. Uh, whether or not you were part of the early days of a church in a new area or just in the first days of coming to a church, I would hazard to say that you had an experience not only of gathering together with a, a large group of people, but some gatherings that where you found yourself in small group meetings, maybe welcoming people into your home or, or being welcomed into the home of another person. Uh, it's why as we start a, a new year, I, I want to put out the invitation afresh. Uh, if you're not a part of a small home group Bible study, um, see if there's one that's uh, at a time that's and place that's convenient for you. Or Otherwise, just look for ways that you can be meeting with fellow believers outside of our, our regular gatherings uh, in order that you might encourage one another. It's a wonderful thing to have this corporate gathering and expression of worship. But as we, we see the beginnings of the church, even the beginnings of the gospel, uh, we see that Jesus not only spends time teaching in the synagogues among those who are, are spiritual seekers, you might say, or, or religiously minded, but he spends time in the countryside and, and in people's homes, ministering to the relatives and friends of his early disciples. We're going to look at um, the story that, that Nick's presented to us today. It's the, the story of another man who was called to follow Jesus and find him in a place where people were discovering that God was not only eternal and powerful, but he was personal and was wanting to be involved in their everyday lives 
And I pray that we see that God today as we open his word. Let us pray together. Father, you are the God who made all things. You are the Father who sent his Son into this world, giving up the glories of heaven that we might know the glories of, of our Father's love. Lord, we pray as we open your word that you would encourage us, uh, challenge us, and, uh, and give answers to our questions, Lord, even as you, you challenge the way that we live. Lord, we pray that, uh, that like those early disciples, we would be people not only who heard and believed, but people who were a part of, of sharing the, the wonderful message that they heard with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're working our way through Mark's gospel. And uh, in chapter 2, we, we read the, the calling of another disciple. Uh, he's introduced to us here as Levi. In, in uh, the next chapter, as Jesus describes calling his uh, disciples up the mountain, those who are most committed uh, to the very top, in order that he might name his apostles, uh, we see him named as Matthew. So if I sometimes call him Levi and sometimes call him Matthew, um, don't blame me for the confusion. Uh, it's the calling of Matthew. And, and as I got to this in chapter 2, I thought, now why is the story of, of Levi separate to some of the, the callings of, of the disciples already as we've uh, read them in, in Mark's gospel and studied them in recent weeks? We know that Simon and Andrew and James and John were fishermen. And at least one of them was a disciple of John the Baptist, uh, who was told, here is the one that you've been waiting for. And he, he went and he found his brother and he called him and he said, I, I think we've, we've found the Messiah. And, and similarly for James and John, as we, we learn more of their stories from the other gospel writers, we see that these were working class ordinary men, but men who had a desire to see the coming kingdom uh, of, of God accomplished and, and were seeking that man who would, would become the Messiah, who would become the Saviour. And in those circumstances, we, we see Jesus issuing just a, a simple call to them. Follow me. And they left everything and followed him. Why is it that the story of Matthew is separate? Well, maybe chronologically, like just in, in time, this is the way that it happened. Uh, some disciples were called at, at, on one day and, and others on another day and, and then later the, the full gathering of what we know to be the 12 apostles were, were called and recognised. And I think that's true. But I think we can also see a difference between the calling of, of Simon and Andrew and James and John to that of, of Levi here in chapter 2 in that those men were seeking the Messiah. But Matthew, he's, he's sitting at his workplace. He's, he's sitting at his tax collector's booth. And you probably know something of the tax collectors of Jesus' time. They weren't collecting taxes to go into the Jewish treasury. No, they were collecting taxes that were going to go to the Roman authorities, those who were occupying the, the land and, and holding uh, Israel under submission to the Roman authorities. They themselves, many of them were Jews, but they were, in a sense, working for the enemy. And we learn, and we'll look a, a little bit later at, at Matthew in, sorry, in, um, 
in Luke's gospel at another man who was a tax collector to, to see something of the character of these men. But it was a position where they could, yes, serve the ruling authority, but they could also serve themselves quite easily uh, as they were taking taxes for the, uh, the ruling authorities. They were also able to take something for themselves and so were able to get quite rich um, in honest and, and maybe dishonest means. And so you can see for a number of reasons they weren't popular among the Jewish com community, even though they were Jews themselves. Um, so Matthew, I don't want to say he was a dishonest man, but he was certainly uh, ha had that reputation. And we don't hear of him uh, as a man who is seeking after the Messiah, but a man who is just going about his business following the, the ways of the world, maybe pursuing profit and enjoying a, a fairly relaxed lifestyle. Certainly as Jesus calls him to himself uh, and then meets later in his, his home, we find that this reputation may be true. We read in, in Mark 2, Jesus went out again beside the sea and the crowds were among him, uh, were coming to him. And he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. I think there's three things that, uh, that I want to uh, point to you in this passage this morning. The first is an encouragement. The second is a challenge. And the third is a question. The first is an encouragement because some of us, would put ourselves in the camp of those who were kind of seeking after God when God revealed himself to us. We, we had something of a desire to worship God. Maybe that was a, a desire uh, as a benefit of the families that we grew up in. We had a, a respect for God. We had a, a knowledge of, of the word of God and, and had seen in others a love for Christ. And so in a way, they drew us to him. But some of us would say, well, actually, that wasn't my path at all. I would say that when Jesus found me, I was far from him and, and really I, I was pursuing the things of this world without much of a concern for him. But it was him who found me. And it's a, a beautiful contrast to the life of Jesus that we see that for those who are seeking him, Jesus is easily found. But also for those who are far from him, Jesus doesn't sit back and, and wait for us one day to, uh, to get into such a, a muck that we, we, we look desperately for him. But Jesus actually pursues us. Even as we are traveling our own path, Jesus wants to rescue us from a path of destruction that is not unlike the path of destruction that, uh, that all of us would recognize that we, we find ourselves on. Matthew, we notice, does not begrudge Jesus' intrusion in his life, but welcomes him. For no, uh, not too long after Jesus says to him, follow him, follow me, Matthew rises and follows him. And, verse 15, as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Part of the encouragement of, of Jesus actively seeking those who, who aren't necessarily looking for him is that there is an immediate blessing to those around them. Zaccha uh, sorry, Matthew's friends uh, are there present at the table, recognized by others as 
other tax collectors and sinners. People who the, the worshipping community and the religious types wouldn't say were those who would actively be looking for Jesus. But here they are, seated around a table and listening to Jesus' teaching. I say it's similar to... Uh, to um, the story of Zacchaeus. Sorry, I'm, I've got two references written down and clearly one of them's wrong. Um, to Luke's gospel and, and another such story. Uh, it's in Luke chapter 19. We read that Jesus, as he entered Jericho and was passing through, saw a man named Zacchaeus. Uh, he was a chief tax collector and was rich and was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed into a sycamore tree to see him as he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. Jesus, when he meets a sinner, and reveals himself to him has an immediate difference in that person's life and in the lives of those around him. The encouragement is that if you are far from God, he is not far from you. In fact, he is pursuing you to draw him to, him, to himself. And such a change of your life can happen at that moment. And I pray if God is doing that for you and you see him at work in your life that you might see that he is also working in your life in order to reach your friends that's the encouragement the challenge is this that in both the story of Luke chapter 19 and the story of Mark 2 the calling of, of Matthew and the the conversion of Zacchaeus we see that they have the same reputation, that they would be among tax collectors and sinners, but they receive the same welcome from Christ. While others are standing looking on, saying, as the scribes of the Pharisees said, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Why does he eat with such people? I want to ask, are you in that circumstance one who is more likely to be standing with the Pharisees or sitting with the sinners? We kind of tend towards places of safety. It's part of our human nature, isn't it? We don't like to put ourselves in places of danger. We like to put ourselves where things are safe. And it's good. It's life-preserving. Uh, it can even be... Uh, a a healthy encouragement for brothers and sisters in Christ. Pursue the things of God. Be careful of the, the dangers of the world. But in the life of Jesus, we never see him shirking from danger. 
We never see him only attracted to those who are the religious types or those who look good or on the right path. Jesus goes out of his way to seek the sinners. And the people looking at him as a would-be Messiah criticize him for that and say, how could you be the son of God when we see the people that you hang out with? Jesus, when he sends his disciples out, sends them out like himself as, as one who has no place to lay his head. He sends them out with, with uh, n- nothing in their purse and, and only one tunic as, as lambs among wolves, saying that there will be people who will reject you and people who will accept you, but I want you to go out. I want you, when you go, not to be afraid of the words that you will speak because I will give them to you. I want you, when you go out, not to be afraid of, of what, uh, how you will care for yourself or the, the, the roof of your head or, or how you will clothe yourself. I want you to go out trusting me because the people who need to hear the word of God are not just those who are gathered around the table in your home. That's the right place for the gospel to start. We've already been introduced to Peter's home or the home of Peter's mother-in-law there in Caponium. Uh, that's where it began. But as you read more of the, the life of the disciples, they go out further and further and further into greater and greater danger. It's right that as we come to Christ, we get welcomed into the community of faith. But it's also right once we believe that we go into those places that don't seem to be safe, that we go into those relationships that others might go, well, I don't know that they're the right sort of people to be hanging out with. Because Christ himself has given us that example. I want you to eat and drink with the tax collectors. I want you to be in the home of sinners. I want to send you out as God has sent me out, leaving the glories and the safety of heaven and into this world that has turned its back on me in order that I might draw all men to myself. For when Jesus hears the rebuke, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? His reply is this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, don't confuse his words there. He's not saying that there are people who are so righteous that they have no need for me. But those who regard themselves as righteous are not seeking me. They're not in a place where they would receive a a message that says, you've sinned against God, you need in repentance to seek him and in faith to follow him. It's those who recognize that they have a need for God, as Matthew did. He may not at the start of the story been one who was seeking God, but at the word of God, follow me, he left everything and followed Jesus. Zacchaeus was pursuing Jesus. He, he didn't know exactly what it was that Jesus would give, but as Jesus came into his home, he, he said, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I, I will pay it back. There's a challenge for us in here that we're not to be standing among the scribes of the Pharisees looking on at people who we should hold at arm's length. But we should be sitting right alongside of Jesus, 
right alongside of those tax collectors and sinners, celebrating what God has done for us. This is my question to you. How do you celebrate? How do you celebrate what we've done here this morning? The forgiveness that, that Christ has won for us at the cross? It's right that we should celebrate it in, in this sort of a context because Jesus says whenever you, you meet together, remember me in these ways, break bread in thankfulness, share the cup of, of the new covenant together, rejoice in who you are as the people of God. But Matthew celebrates that first meal with Jesus in the company of his friends. So many of the people who receive forgiveness and healing, Jesus says, go out now and tell others. I know in contrary to, to last week where he was telling people to be silent, we'll see as the gospel goes on and, and Jesus' ministry becomes known for what it really is, that, that there are those who want to get in the boat with Jesus and continue on with him in his ministry. And he says, no, I want you to stay and proclaim what God has done in your life. Sometimes we can minimise forgiveness in our life. We can kind of get to a point where we think, you know, I'm pretty good. There's not much that God has to forgive me for anymore. And so we minimise the grace of God in our lives. And that's a problem for us, but it's also a problem for the people around us. Because what is it that will attract people to Christ? What is it that we want them to know? That sinners can come to Christ and receive grace and forgiveness. Now, if what they see in us are people who say, oh, I've pretty much minimised my sin, there's not much I need forgiveness for, we will appear as those people who God has forgiven little and so rejoice little. But if we gain that picture once again of Christ, the Holy One of God, looking at my life and saying, you know what? He's destined to hell unless I do something about it. And what I have to do in order to save that man is to give my life and hang on a bloody cross so that my life might be traded for his, then I get a different perspective on my sin. Then I see the Holy One of God sacrificed for me. That is something I should celebrate, not something I should take for granted. That is a cost that I should daily be reminded of, not that it would become familiar with me and common, but that I would never lose the importance of that. That I would never lose perspective on what God has done for me. Because he hasn't just done it for me. God has done what is impossible for me to do. So that I might have the faith to realise that God is the one who achieves the impossible. So those tax collectors and those sinners in my life who I think are far from God and don't seem to even have a hint of wanting to turn and follow him, 
There is a saviour who is pursuing them. There is a life that is near to them, a relationship that God desires for them. And it's God who does it. If he's already accomplished the forgiveness of sins through the giving of his son, does he not have the power to change one more heart, one more life? If instead of standing in the wings and, and looking down in condemnation, I'm seated at the table and saying, you know what? There's a man who died for me and oh, I needed that. My heart is far from God but for the grace that he has shown in my life. Jesus, he called himself a doctor. He called himself one who came to save those who were sick, to save those who were dying, and that was me. The forgiveness I received I didn't deserve, but God has done something great for me, and I think he can do something great for you as well. So I want us to think about how we celebrate our acceptance. For whether we were seeking after God or whether we were running from him, he has found us and he has forgiven our sin and he has given us a new life and a new mission that we would acknowledge what God has done, that we would tell others of this wonder of grace and that we would do it not just in the company of fellowship as believers, but that we would go and welcome all who would believe, teaching that Jesus is enough, his grace is sufficient, and his love is for each one of us. Let's commit these things to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are holy we thank you that you lived a sinless and perfect life. We thank you for your example of obedience before your Father, that you didn't do anything outside of his will or outside of his word. You didn't seek glory for yourself or recognition. You didn't seek comfort or security. You came to seek and save the lost. And we thank you for that, Lord. For we acknowledge our need for you. But we acknowledge, Lord, the great need of the world around us. And we pray that you would give us paths to walk. That you would give us people to minister to. That you would give us places to go, protecting us as we go, empowering us by your word, to speak truth, to demonstrate love, to call others to faith. For this is the work of the Spirit who blows where he pleases. This is the work of the Spirit who leads us as we submit ourselves to you. This is the calling to which we have been called. Lord, lead us that we would follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.